This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hudson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to Friday or maybe you're you're a little crazy and you want to double listen, or maybe you waited until Saturday game day, but we are on the show. We are going to be previewing and predicting uh, number three, Oregon at Stanford. Ducks are 4-0, 1-0 in Pac-12 play. Stanford is 2-2, 1-1 in Pac-12 play. They lost last week to UCLA at home, second straight road game. For the Cardinal game is on ABC, and if you've not heard the news, uh, Dave Fleming and Rod Gilmore are on the call once again. So uh, adjust accordingly. If if you were one of those people who were not pleased with the broadcast last week, uh, you can try and link yourself up to uh, or sync yourself up to the IMG crew, which is Jerry Allen, Mike Jorgensen, Joey Mack, and Terry Johns. Um, Guys, coming into this one, I, I think we're still looking for Oregon to play that complete game outside of Ohio State. Um, they obviously played pretty darn to their best of their abilities in that win at Ohio State. But against Fresno State, against Stony Brook, and against Arizona, um, they've certainly had their bright moments. There have certainly been game or parts of those games where it's, wow, that was they are really good but i think the thing is is there's also been moments in those games as well where they've been far from their best and i think going in to this game against stanford that's probably what i'm most curious to see play out we've talked a lot about it this week uh about how you know on there on the show on duckterritory.com and then just us three talking um, about this feels kind of like maybe a, a game in which they make a statement. Um, it's also going to be one in which they're probably going to be at their healthiest since the first snap of Fresno State. Yeah, this feels like either you exercise some of those demons from a consistency perspective or you don't. And if you don't, then you move forward with the season. And, and I don't know, it's just it's another week where you, you come away with questions. I'm hoping and very actually pretty optimistic that this is actually a week where it does come together. You know, and we'll talk more about some of that later. Um, the health part's big. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I, know, I don't, I don't know if it feels like we've overlooked this in the show. I know there's been some some criticism of that. We've tried to bring up the fact that this team is down some players, and that's played a role. Um, Oregon's been down a lot of their best players in the front seven for two to three weeks now, and the, it's shown on the field. And you go watch the the film, and a lot of the mistakes are being made by replacement players. And that's not to say that veterans are perfect because there have been some guys who've made mistakes too but i mean some of the fill-ins some of the players who are playing big snaps have not played at their best and not been perfect and that's to be expected that's that's the way it works these are opportunities to cut your teeth and again you're fortunate you played stony brook and you play arizona games that are are very winnable and games that you do win rather convincingly even though both i think were underwhelming at times especially the first half of both those games and 
Um, you know, I'm not saying those first halves were devoid of positives, but both games a little closer than you'd like at half, and the you know the Oregon Arizona game closer into the fourth quarter um, than most people probably prefer or, or, or expected even. So I, I think there's a huge element of this is okay. Let's see what it looks like with Kayvon Thibodeau back. Of course, I don't want to suggest he's 100, percent but that's a huge element for Oregon. And I think that's that's part of why I feel pretty optimistic about this matchup. I also say like you know, we talk about maybe. Uh, you know, Oregon being down some key players. Stanford is down a lot of guys too, um, and probably more than Oregon is right now, assuming everything we've heard from our Cristobal from a health perspective holds true um, and accurate, and that we get to Saturday and Thibodeau's playing and Funa's playing and Keith Brown is still at 100%. And we see maybe more of Adrian Jackson and see some more um, of a couple of other guys who've been kind of in and out of the lineup a little bit. So I think that part is huge, and, and I, I will be curious to see what this defense looks like Again, I think the closest it's been to full strength since the opener. Yeah, I, I was looking forward to looking at the defense as well, because just just for the reasons you you mentioned, Eric, they they look like they're going to be as healthy as they have been in a long time. And you know, Mario Cristobal mentioned that uh, KT looks good to go to play a full game on Saturday, which was going to be a huge impact in Oregon's defense. Uh, I'm really looking for the second and third quarters. Uh, I did a like a little bit of research on this and found that Oregon has outscored their opponents 92 to 31 in the first and fourth quarters, which is great. And the second, third, they've only outscored their opponents by 19, 66 to 47. So I think those are two drastic changes that, that Oregon needs to, to figure out going forward, just being a, playing a consistent, hard game, not letting their foot off the pedal. Uh, I think against Stanford, they're going to need to do that. Uh, I don't know, you know, we all know how Stanford usually approaches a football game. They're grounded pound. They're going to control the clock for as long as they can. Um, and if, if Oregon gets off to a hot start and continues to maybe falter in the second and third quarter, you know, Stanford's going to take advantage of that and just run the clock down. So it's, I, I, but I am cautiously, I'm not cautiously, I am optimistic heading into this game about Oregon's offense and defense, just from the tone that Mario Cristobal has had basically all week. It seems like he's, also not oh, happy with their performance. Right, exactly. So I, I anticipate Oregon coming out and, and reiterating as to why they are the number three team in the country. And I, I think there there is some – the expecta- expectations for this team have changed, I think, with that Ohio State win. All three of us said that they were going to lose. We predicted they would lose. And it was pretty shocking from those – outside of the program when they were without KT, they were without Justin Flo, and they were so dominant in that game. And I think that shows us, um, and Jalen Red, Oregon's, one of Oregon's most experienced players, said that Ohio State game kind of validated for the younger guys just how good this team can be. Um, he was talking about that after Wednesday's practice, that that was a moment where it was kind of like, yeah, we are this good. And I think the expectations for this team have changed after that game because we saw the, we saw what this team could be like if they played to their potential and they played to their potential for four quarters. And so seeing that they won, seeing how the conference has shaken out, and the expectation for me has, has changed. I did not think the playoff was uh, a realistic expectation for this team at the beginning of the football season. 
but expectations can change and they have. And now I think this team should make the college football playoff. That should be the expectation for this team. And for me, I, I want to see more of what we saw against Ohio state than what we've seen the last two weeks against Stony Brook and against Arizona. And I think injuries like Eric and Kevin and Eric, Eric and Jared have said that, uh, have played a factor in that, but I also think the youth of this team has also played a factor in it. There's not a lot of these guys that were on that 2019 team that went through the, the rigor, rigors of trying to get yourself back into the playoff discussion after that Auburn loss. So I think it's there. I think they're good enough. We've seen them be good enough. And that's kind of what we've just talked about a little bit is what my interest is going in is, this defense should be good. They are healthy. They should see marked improvements. And on the other side of the football, I don't really necessarily look at points. Um, you know, you don't have to score X amount of points to be a good offense. But to be a good offense, you need to exploit uh, what your opponent is bad at defending against. And against Stanford this week, the Cardinal are the 116th best team in the country and stopping the run, which means they're awful. They average over 200 yards allowed per game, over five yards per Gary. They've allowed nine touchdowns in four games on the ground. Oregon, that's Oregon's bread and butter. And, and so for me, I'm looking at this game as this is one where the defense should get right. They should show that they're healthy. They should We should see what a Kayvon Thibodeau defense looks like. And on the flip side, offensively, this is really this should be a game where Oregon should just ground Arizona Stanford into the ground and just grind them away with big run after big run. I'm with you on the run game component. I think, and we'll get to my predictions later. I made a, at least one around that part because, like we talked about last week with Arizona, this is not a very good rush defense. Now, what Arizona did to mitigate some of that was just play keep away for most of the game and that kind of Oregon was really effective when they had the ball and was able to run it but there was a lot of times in that game where where they just didn't have the football most of the third quarter um Stanford will try to do that my thing with Stanford though is they might be down some of their key running backs there's still not clarity about who's available and if if it is Nathaniel Pete who I think is a really dynamic in space kick returner um you know maybe a little bit like a Travis die in terms of that's how you'd like to use him primarily He's not necessarily an in-between-the-tackles guy, and that's what they need, I think, from him. Like, you want to use him as kind of a, a gadget guy. And they're using him as an every-down back. And if that's the case again this week, I think it's going to be hard for Arizona – sorry, for Stanford. I'm still stuck on Arizona apparently too, Matt. Um, it's going to be tough for Stanford, um, I think, to, to play that keep-away game, which is something that they do want to do. Um, I think another part of this for me in, in terms of – there's a bunch of stuff, and we'll get through a lot of it when we get into predictions for why there's reason to be optimistic. Um, I think another part for me is I go back and I watch I, – I, Jared and I go watch rewatch the games. I then go watch them again independently. So I've, I've watched each game three times now. Um, what they did against Ohio State to me was a lot more creative. There was a lot more building off of one play. You show a look early later on in the game. It becomes something a little different, and the defense buys into what they saw the first time, and suddenly there's – another element that appears and it's open for a touchdown or it's available for a big game. I didn't see a ton of that the last couple of weeks. And I, I my thought here is I don't want I know I don't want to say they're being vanilla or they're they're hiding things. I think that's probably somewhat true. 
but that feels like kind of a cop-out. But to a certain extent, I think there is stuff from a, how you call a game that you, you will call differently depending upon the opponent and just the caliber of opponent. And I think Oregon was very aware they could beat Arizona and Stony Brook playing the way they did, and they won, and they won handily. And against Stanford, they're going to need to show a little bit more. And so I think you're going to see – and Jalen Red, by the way, you brought him up earlier, Matt – he brought up a point of, you know, you're not going to show your whole offense early on in the season. And I, I don't think he didn't point specifically point to Arizona or specifically point to Stony Brook and say those games we were holding back, we were only showing X percentage of the playbook. But I do think you can look back at those games and go, either Joe Moorhead just didn't have as good of a game plan devised, which I just don't think is the case. I think he's really, really good at what he does. And I think he earned himself a lot of validation and, you know, support based upon how he game planned for Ohio State. Or, or we do think, like I said, that they're 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 going to be a little they're holding some stuff back. They're trying to be a little bit more bland and vanilla, saving up for a game with Stanford, who's a much better opponent right before a bye week. So, um, I think that part to me also gives me some optimism in the offense. Now they'll have to go out and execute. I still have concerns at quarterback. Those listening recently know that and have made it very aware that that they know that. Um, that's fine. Um, I think objectively, he's not been quite as good as you need him to be. I, that doesn't mean the offense can't be great because he had moments against Ohio State where he wasn't amazing and the offense still won that game. And they scored a bunch of points the last couple of weeks too with him not playing perfect football. Um, but that's going to be a big part here. I think I think they'll be much better suited in this game in part because of some injuries on defense for Stanford and the secondary for Brown to have a big day. Um, and I think all that comes together and we'll talk predictions later. But I, I do think there's, there's a possibility. I'm feeling pretty confident this is a win and a win that you feel pretty good about going into a bye week. Yeah, I've always been wondering that same idea if they're if Oregon the last two weeks has gone a little like playing and playing Jane on their play calling. Cause when you do rewatch the Ohio State game, just like Eric was saying, they run this same package for most of the game, but have like eight to ten different looks. So when the defense collapses, they have a screen or not a screen, but they have a, a, a tight end rollout and catch a 15 yard pass or when they drop back, then that's when they run or the outside the tackles, inside the tackles. It's all very thorough and thought out from, from Joe Moorhead. And we haven't seen that idea where it's the same package over and over, but these like extremely different looks each time. So I have been thinking the same idea where maybe against Stanford, a, a better opponent where, Oregon kind of goes back to that with their offense and tries to more so play mind games rather than just beat them with physicality or, you know, speed and athleticism or just better players in general on the edges. Um, I do think, again, we'll get into predictions in a, in, a, in a bit, but I do think that Anthony Brown will have a good game against Stanford. Um, and Stanford being without a couple of their cornerbacks is going to be uh, – not great for them. It's going to be an opportunity for Anthony Brown to really, really excel and try to put the ball forward. Um, obviously, Oregon's rushing attack has been good all year long, and I think we'll see a healthy dose of CJ Verdell too. Um, but I, it's, I, I do feel optimistic heading into this week just because of the the mentality of the team and and how they're always looking to be that you know, that saying that we're we're trying to be one and oh this week we want to know last week and now we're trying to be one and oh this week um i think the team has really bought into that i'm not sure where that started i know it's just like an old school saying that's been around for forever but i think they've really bought into that and i think they're they're going to going to try their best to be one and oh this week and i feel like that's going to be better than what stanford can do it's going to be interesting to see this team 
up against Stanford because this is a game that's always kind of like a rivalry. At least it's been like that for a decade or so. And I, I like to think that um, these games are relatively close. I mean, you go back the last 10 years and Stanford has won five and Oregon has won five. Um, the Ducks have won two straight. Against Stanford last year, they opened the year with a 35-14 win. The year before that, in 2019, the Ducks went down to Palo Alto, and they won 21-6. to And then uh, in 2018 at home in Eugene, everyone remembers that game, 38-31 Stanford in overtime. Ducks had that game, and they kind of gave it away. Tough one. Um, but there, there hasn't really been a blowout, like – Sure, 2017, Stanford won 49-7. to seven, you know, But that was when Justin Herbert was hurt. Um, Braxton Burmeister could not really move the football. In 2016, Stanford blew out Oregon 52-27. And really, that's like the only one that's like been a true just butt-kicking. Um, Oregon, Oregon won 45-16 in 2014. Um, but it was still kind of a competitive game. These games are going to be close. This point spread right now is eight, and I'm not quite sure what to think of it. Like, let's discuss this real quick. Um, part of me thinks Oregon should blow. Should, I keep saying Arizona. Part of me thinks Oregon should blow out Stanford. Like, knowing that the injuries or the COVID stuff that we know, and and how that's going to impact Stanford's depth chart, and knowing that Oregon is trending upwards from a health standpoint. Uh, the matchups play into Oregon's favor. Part of me says Oregon should should win this game kind of in a blowout fashion. And a blowout fashion could be 38 to, to 7. It doesn't have to be in the 50s or in the 60s. Um, but on the other side of me, of, of this, I, I, I say to myself, Stanford's got a good quarterback. They've got tall receivers. They've got athletic tight ends. It wouldn't surprise me if Stanford can can find a way to give Tanner McKee some protection that he could maybe pick apart this secondary out of Oregon if if they can't generate any kind of a pass rush, which they've failed to really do the last three games. And that's why KT being back and whatever he can give is so key. I think that to me feels also like a really critical part in this game. I, I think Oregon's offense will have a lot of success um, when it has the football. If Stanford can play keep away, and they might play keep away different than they usually do. Um, you think about Stanford yeah. and that run attack. If these guys, if they're down Austin Jones and they're down, EJ Smith's not playing, and Casey Filkins, by the way, is another running back. He's from, I think he went to Jesuit. Um, he's a Portland kid. Those, uh, Filkins and Jones are out because of COVID, and, and Smith is out for a different reason. Um, they might not be able to run the ball very effectively, but if McKee can basically create a pseudo run game with short passes, which is what they like to do. Um, then maybe we'll have some success. I also think, you know, if, if, if Stanford is one-dimensional and KT is able to play at a high level, that's where this game gets potentially ugly for Stanford. Yeah. Because if Stanford can't run the ball effectively, which I'm I'm not conceding is going to be the case because I still have some concerns about Oregon's front and some of the linebackers that are playing big snaps just because there's some inexperience there. Um, but the, what's going on at Stanford, Branson Bragg, one of their top offensive linemen, also out for this one. Um, the questions at running back, like if, let's just say the running game is not very good for Stanford. Oregon get after the quarterback, and it's going to be tough for Tanner McKee to have some success. He's been great this season. I've been leading the Tanner McKee hype train. Um, 
but there's no there's no reason Oregon can't scheme and, and win this game and, and keep him in control and contain him in that passing game, you know, especially if there is an ability to get after the quarterback in the run game falters. And then for me, like this is why I kind of lean this is not as much X's nose, this isn't personnel, this is pure mentality, this is pure motivation. Some people might think this is crazy, but I'm going to bring it up. I think the Rod Gilmore effect plays a role here. I, I think we saw what happened when Mario Cristobal got red hot angry at the Stony Brook head coach in the fourth quarter. What did they do? They just kept putting the foot on the gas, and they went, and they went, and they went. And this is where I could see a blowout happening is, say it's a fairly competitive game for three quarters. I could see Mario Cristobal just wanting to send a message after there's been a week where he's taken some, I think, unf- I wouldn't say think, I know some unfair criticism. There's no founding in reality of what was said via social media. From my perspective, race did not play a role in that. And you can, I know that you race. This is a time it's tough for people with regards to race, and we're not the right podcast to try to have a real in-depth dialogue on it. So I didn't want to try to. I just didn't think his comments really had any legitimacy. And because of that, and we know this, talking to some people, Oregon's not real happy with now with that. And I think that could play a role. There could be. I think there's an extra level of motivation here. Gilmore is calling the game again. He's a Stanford alum. Um, he's on some of their boards of, like, you know, I don't know if it's a board of trustees or whatnot, but he's on some of their, like, he's, he's involved in some of the, you know, the administrative stuff at the school. Like, he has ties there. I could see this being, and he's going to, by the way, it sounds like he's going to still call this game, which I think is ridiculous. Um, I don't think he should. And I don't think he should call another Oregon game because there's a clear conflict of interest. But that's, again, that's not my call. I think that's going to play a role here. And I, I, I do, and I know that's that sounds kind of silly, and that sounds like it's a non sequitur to some. Just don't sleep on some of the mentality part here, and, and I don't think that's why Oregon wins a football game, but I could see that being why the game is lopsided. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be the, the Rod Gilmore factor, or it's going to be another internal or external motivation. But I do, I have felt like this week in, in interviews with Mario and players, it's just like a kind of a different level of in, intensity. Um, I think that might. That might be because they they're getting healthy, and they can see how how good that they can be as a healthy team. I mean, obviously they're still missing many key cogs in their defensive front, but uh, yeah, I think this is a, a show them game for Oregon. Um, I think the Stanford's running attack is not what it what it usually is, uh, especially with the running backs being out, Filkins and and Smith, um, but. And Nathaniel Pete, I don't know if he's like an everyday or excuse me, an every down back. He he is that kind of Travis Dye mold that you were talking about, Eric. That you would rather see him run the ball eight to twelve times a night instead of twenty times a night. I mean, he only ran for twenty-seven yards against UCLA last week. They ran for forty or excuse me, sixty-seven total yards. Um, like that's that's tough. And then when you put all the offensive strain on Tanner McKee, I know he's a good quarterback, but when he has to throw the ball 35, 40 times, I'm not sure that that's exactly what Stanford wants to do. They have those big, tall, talented wide receivers and tight ends. But at one point, if, if Oregon can get enough pressure with four with KT, that's going to be a, a, a big kind of turning point for, for this game. Um, if, or, if Stanford has to throw an Oregon game pressure, I think that's going to be the, the ideal mold that Oregon's defense can run. Real quick, we kind of just discussed a little bit of this, and maybe it's just my own opinion. You guys can just say you've already said yours, but keys to the game here sure. for a second. Um, I, I really think 
much like it was against Arizona and much like it was against Stony Brook and honestly like it was against Ohio State, um, getting that first touchdown, I think a good start is very important to dictate the tempo and the style of game that we see on Saturday from Oregon. I, I think it's imperative that they are the first to score, and I think it's imperative that they get a stop and then can score again and and get yourself up by two scores in this game. And kind of even if Stanford ha- already expects to be one-dimensional, force them to be one-dimensional. Like I don't think Stanford is a team that, that even if they were healthy, is built – to be one that comes back from a double deficit, you know, double digit deficit. Like they, they do not play well when they are behind by like, you know, a big lead um, or a big margin. So I think for Oregon, that first quarter is going to set the tone and will dictate how this game goes, because if it's close after the end of the first quarter and Stanford is pushing just as much as Oregon's pushing and they try and suck the, you know, the clock out and, and really kind of, slow this game down and all of a sudden possessions become a luxury that's how they win you know that's that's how they're going to win this game if it's a low scoring affair and and you you just can't get into rhythm because you don't have the football all that often i think that played a factor in why the offense was so bad against arizona they went that third quarter having like what six or seven plays total that you know it's hard to get into rhythm when you do that so i i think this first quarter it's so cliche but I think Oregon has to come out and, and just hammer Stanford early because if you give hope and if you let them dictate how this game is going to be played, you're going to find yourself in a dogfight. I think getting pressure off the edge for me is really big. I think just seeing that a shift, hopefully, with a more healthy front seven is significant. I think the thing that's been really glaring just the last couple of weeks is their inability to get there. And Thibodeau is literally the best in the country at this. He's requiring it. He's going to require a double team if he's healthy. And that is going to be significant for everyone around him. And I made this point a while ago on a podcast. It's kind of like having that elite shot blocker on the back of the defense. You know, I mean, think about if you're an Oregon men's basketball fan of what it felt like to have Jordan Bell or Kenny Wooten or Chris Boucher at the back end there and how that changed things. And then think about years later, you know, where maybe they didn't have a player like that. You know, I don't want to. I'm not even going to pick a name because I would disparage somebody who wasn't very good who was playing center after those guys, but there were guys who, who just weren't the same players defensively, and it shifts everything. I think Thibodeau is that same kind of a player for in terms of getting to the quarterback, and even even against the run. Even against the run, I think he is that imperative. He's, he's you know, if you talk about, like, you know, just above replacement, you know, in baseball there's wins above replacement and it's a war, and I'm not going to try to say it's wins related, but just in terms of, like, his capability above the people who've been replacing him is such a big gap. And I think it kind of gets lost. And it was a little bit less when it was Swinson, but still huge. When it's, you're down to Trevin Ma'ai, I don't want to, I'm not taking shots of these guys because these are developing players who I'm really high on. I love what Trevin has shown at times. I love what Jake Shipley has shown at times. Brandon Buckner's had some great moments, but like collectively they're not Kayvon Thibodeau and they're not even Braden Swinson. So my hope is that we see just a much, much collectively and then individually with Thibodeau, a much better game of getting to the quarterback, of getting home, of forcing Tanner McKee to make tough decisions. That's another thing. The Stanford-led offense with Tanner McKee at quarterback has yet to turn it over. They have two turnovers all season. Those came early on against Kansas State when Jack West, who was the opening day starter, threw it away twice, two picks. McKee leading this offense has been perfect from that regard. Um, 
similar to Oregon with Anthony Brown. There's one early first game turnover, and since then it's been perfect. I think the turnover part is is crucial. And again, I think getting to the quarterback plays a huge role in that. If they may, if if he can sit back there, he'll pick you apart. He's got good enough receivers to move it around. But if you get after him, you make it tough. He's not able to get set. You make him throw on the run. He doesn't like throwing on the run as much as he likes just throwing it in there in a sturdy pocket. Give the guy a three-step drop, and, and he can throw right away on time, and he's going to kill you. But if you can get after him, make it tough, that's where things shift. So um, I think those two go hand-in-hand. Hand. But forcing turnovers and getting after the quarterback for a defense, I think, are, are really crucial. And then we've already talked about the offense. I think the run game is really important. Yeah, I mean, I've I've already basically discussed the key to key to the game for me, where it's it's Oregon getting pressure with with four guys just on a consistent basis. Uh, you know, KT in his limited snaps last week against Arizona was double teamed in most of them, or they would purposely drive block him to the other side and try to run around him. It was good scheming by Arizona. Don't get me wrong, um, but if he commands a double team, that's going to give single coverage or single blocking. Excuse me for for Dorless, for Keon Ware Hudson, for Mace Foon on the other side, Adrian Jackson even. Like those are the opportunities where you know Oregon can thrive in that situation. Again, we've only seen Oregon's front five, front seven, fully healthy for a quarter. And we all remember what that was like. You know, KT on you know first couple of plays of the game gets his fumble or his strip sack and Braden Swinson gets another sack in the next drive after pressure from KT. Noah Sewell gets a forced fumble. You know, that's that's the type of defense that that you would hope to hope to see in this week against Stanford. I know Braden Swinson isn't playing, right. but Mace Funa is still a very comparable player. He might not be as fast as Swinson, but he's still good on the defensive line. He can still, you know, provide pressure from the outside. So if Oregon can get there with four, maybe five guys occasionally and force Tanner McKee to move or make quick decisions or make bad decisions, that's going to lead into a turnover at one point. And I, I, I think that Oregon's defensive line will be pretty good in, in the run game this week against Stanford, just because I, Stanford's offensive line, while it is good, it's just not as good as it has been in recent years. Uh, I think Oregon's defensive front is actually – has actually played pretty well this year at points. I didn't think they were terrible against Arizona for most of the game. I think there were there were points where they were bad, but I I don't know. I go into this game thinking that the key of the game is to get Kayvon Thibodeau back. I think that's huge. If he can play a full game, he can give you as many snaps as he can. That will be a difference maker. That'll probably be the biggest difference maker of the season for Oregon if he can get back. Yeah, that's a good point about just the entire season. If this, if Thibodeau gets back to what we saw the first quarter against Fresno State when he got hurt, then the the flow injury it sounds kind of over dramatic, like it matters. But I think the return of Thibodeau covers up a lot of those issues, and all of a sudden this defense can can get closer to its true potential, healthy. Um, we should note that Mace Funa should be playing in this game. Adrian Jackson should be fine. Um, Keith Brown should be fine. Uh, no one really emerged in that game against Arizona with any new injuries. So really the only guys that are not playing in this game are Braden Swenson, Justin Flo, and anyone that's previously been hurt um, in fall camp. 
or like a Drew Mathis against Fresno State week one. So uh, from an injury standpoint, kind of glossed over it really quickly, the opening. Um, but from an injury standpoint, this team's in a good spot. Like there, there really isn't much to talk about, and that's a good thing from, from an injury standpoint. Um, let's move on to some of our predictions for this game. Uh, I, I think I'll start off with an offensive player prediction. Um, I, I think we are going to see uh, once again one of Anthony Brown's better games at quarterback. Um, from like a completion standpoint, he might not be in that 65 range that Oregon wants to see quarterbacks at. That's a number that Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator, said. Um, Brown did come out and say that his is higher than than that. Um, but I think we see a good game from him from a a yardage produced, you know, touchdowns, drives produced type game. I think he finishes with five total touchdowns. Um, It's not going to surprise me that if he runs for one or two, um, I think he's going to throw for a couple as well. And he's going to finish this game with 400 or more all-purpose yardage when you factor in what he throws and we factor in what he runs for. I think this is going to be one of those games where the offense plays really good um, and I think Anthony Brown, is, as the trigger man, is going to be a big reason why that happens. If, you're, if the stats you're predicting are what they turn out to be, I'm going to change my tune after the game on Saturday significantly and going forward. That would be really impressive. I haven't seen enough to believe that that'll be the case, but, hey, I dig it. Let's hope for that. I think that would put a lot of people's concerns to ease. Or a lot of ease, ease, ease a lot of concerns. Let me use English properly. Sorry, I'm, I'm tired. Um my one here does deal with the passing game. It's not Brown related. Um, you know, you look at this Oregon receiving core. A lot of guys have caught passes, but not very many each. You know, like there's not a ton of players out on this team that are regularly getting, honestly, more than three to four targets a game or more than two or three catches per game. I mean, it's it's a team that primarily has thrown it to eight to 10 to 11 to 12 players in all their games. And that's a good thing, I think. Um I think you're going to see two players who haven't caught a touchdown pass this season catch a touchdown pass. Um, that's a pretty large list, but from a wide receiver perspective, which is where my head is at, the four names that are probably most prominent that have not caught a touchdown pass yet, Chris Hudson, Micah Pittman, Troy Franklin, Devin Williams. I think two of those four guys get a touchdown pass. Um, Devin, by the way, this is notable. We haven't really talked about it on the podcast. I'll just do this really briefly because it's a little bit off topic, but I asked because what Williams didn't play at all against Arizona. And I asked Mario Cristobal, like, was it injury related? He said he was just outside of the wide receiver rotation right now, um, which is kind of notable as a guy who was one of the better, you know, at least from a production perspective receivers last year. So um, maybe including Williams on this list is wrong just because it sounds like he might be a ways down on the depth chart. Um, But he's still a, a notable player at wide receiver who hasn't caught a touchdown pass. So I'm including him, Hudson Pittman, Franklin Williams, one, two of those four guys. Uh, get in the end zone via the air this weekend. So mine isn't so much individual as it is like personnel group, like yours is, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I have the tight ends combined, the tight end group in general, combining to catch three touchdown passes. I think either Maliki Matavao or Terrence Ferguson have two or you know one of them, one and one and one, and then DJ Johnson gets the third. I don't know. I feel like this is going to be one of those games where Oregon runs it down on the goal line basically maybe a couple of passes here and there, but uses a lot of trickery and, and kind of that Ohio state look that they had to get Matavao an easy touchdown or 
with, with Ty Thompson throwing his easy touchdown to, to uh, Terrence Ferguson. Uh, I think Oregon utilizes their tight ends in the red zone really well, which I think is something they haven't done in years past. Uh, they've had Jacob Breland, who's been, who was more like a, a, a seam route guy, mm-hmm. run a lot of posts, get over in the middle of the field, which was great. And I think Oregon's wider, or tight ends can do that as well. But down towards the goal line, they've, they've used their tight ends all the time. And I think they have the bodies to do so. I think they have the talent to do so. And I don't see it stopping against Stanford. Offensive team prediction here. I, I'm expecting the offense to have a good game, um, obviously, by my Anthony Brown one. So sticking with that, I think the passing game for Oregon has kind of that breakout moment. Like We've all talked about how there's a ton of recruits that they've signed that are uber talented, how Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman are guys that have been in the system for a while. And as the season has played out, we've all also commented on that there really hasn't been that one guy that kind of emerges and has a huge game. I think we get there. I think we have a guy on this team have a big game individually. And I think collectively, when you throw in the tight ends, you throw in the running backs with the receiver group, I think this is going to be Oregon's best passing day of the season to date. And they go over 350 passing yards and they have four total touchdowns among all guys that can catch passes. I'm going more run in this one just because I think Stanford's biggest weakness is on the ground, and I think Oregon does a lot of its damage typically on the ground. That doesn't mean that Brown can have a good, can't have a good day. Obviously, I just predicted a couple of touchdown passes to new guys. I think that Brown has a good day throwing the football relative to some of the other performances. Um, this is a recycled prediction from a week ago. And it, last week I predicted against a very bad Arizona defense that, that Oregon would run for more yards than they did against Ohio State. And in fact, they didn't get there. They only ran for 187. They needed to get to 270 to accomplish that. I think this week they do. I'm predicting Oregon runs for more than 270 yards on the ground. Um, again, this is an offense predicated on, on run plays, on getting the ball down the field via the ground um, to help establish the passing attack. I think the run game is really successful in this one. And, and interestingly enough, we talk about Stanford maybe playing key play. I kind of think it might be the other way a little bit here where Oregon has the ball a ton. And because of that, you force Stanford to rely on its pass attack. And not that Tanner McKee can't make big plays. I'm really high on Tanner McKee. Those listening have known I've been hyping him up since probably before he was a full-time starter um, at Stanford. But I do think that there are some limitations of just putting all the proverbial eggs in one basket. And I just don't think that works out very well for Stanford. So um, Oregon with a ton of success on the ground. For me, I have Oregon reaching over 500 total yards of offense, but I have 300 of those going to Anthony Brown's right arm. I think I'm with Matt. I I don't know what it is. It might just be an internal feeling, but I feel like Anthony Brown and has a good day at the office. Uh, I feel like he's going to have one of those, a games that he had at Ohio State. Uh, like Matt said, he might not complete the 65 to 70% of his passes, but he's going to have opportunities to hit, to hit deep balls. And I think, I think Saturday is going to be the day. I think Saturday is finally going to be the day where Anthony Brown hits a couple of deep balls and shows that that is actually a strength of his. We haven't seen it yet. They've tried many a times, but like as Joe Moorhead said in his Monday press conference, they're going to continue to try to throw it deep. And I think this time they're going to have opportunities with the lack of uh, Stanford's cornerback depth going through. I think it'll I think it'll come true. I think Oregon's deep ball will actually be a factor in Stanford. 
defensive player time. Uh, I'm going with Noah Sewell here. I think he's going to have a career record uh, for him in tackles. He finishes with 15 or more tackles. I think he's going to be all over the football field. Um, he had 14 against Arizona. Uh, and actually, that's the second time this season a linebacker at Oregon has had 14 tackles. Justin Flo had 14 against Fresno State. Um, but I think Flo is going to beat that. And I, I think in part because a lot of – Stanford is obviously a team that is going to have to throw a little bit more this year um, because of the depth issues at running back. But at their core, they are a team that runs the football. And I don't think David Shaw – will try and deviate too far away from that, even if they don't have a ton of success. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Oregon's linebackers, and in particular Sewell, um, to have a big day. And I just think the matchup, too, with linebackers, like he's going to – he's probably – Sewell's probably not Oregon's best – actually, I feel like it's pretty clear. He's not Oregon's best linebacker in coverage. But I think with how – many tight ends that they run, he's going to be paired up with some every once in a while, and he's going to get some tackles that way too. Uh, Eric has left, left the show. <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness. I clicked, I clicked refresh on a th another tab, and it refreshed that page. So I was disappeared. And because of that, Matt had to let me back in, which was fun for those who were watching. Probably <laughs> you're very confused about what has happened because you didn't miss me not talking because Matt was talking. All right. Um, <laughs> my defensive individual prediction, uh, I go Bennett Williams here. Um, I think he's been playing at a very, very high level. Um, I'll leave a little bit of crow here because in, in the preseason, I suggested that Jamal Hill would be the defensive back to just jump back in and reclaim his spot. And it was actually more DJ James. And, and I don't think Jamal Hill does take it back. In fact, I'm curious to see what Jamal Hill's short-term kind of role ends up being and what his long-term role ends up being. What, you know, what does Bennett decide to do after the season? He's certainly playing well enough to maybe get a look to play professionally. Um, I think he actually, if you look at his Twitter page, like his top – it's like pinned tweet is something about being drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. So obviously that was something he was looking at. Um, so maybe he does go pro after the season and that moves Jamal Hill uh, aside. So I'm talking about down the line here, but I just wanted to acknowledge that I think, I think Bennett Williams has been awesome this season. And aside from probably Veron McKinley and Noah Sewell, for my money, he's been the best defensive player. You know, um, he's one of the top three, I think on this defense has been really, really good. So I have him finishing with at least 10 tackles in this game. Um, I think he's around the ball a ton. You know, you look at the way he um, – just the, the way he – how sure he is in the open field, how it seems like he's frequently even on rundowns, just in the box, around the football, making plays. I think he's been tremendous um, all season in multiple facets because he's been great against the pass too, whether it be, you know, intercepting passes as a ball hawk at safety and coming over. You think about the way he attacked the ball, both of those plays last week against Arizona – or if it's been in coming up and, and laying the wood on short passes or passes kind of over the middle. So I, I like Bennett Williams to have 10 plus tackles in this game. Before I get to my prediction, I'd like to reiterate Eric's sentiment about Bennett Williams. He's been awesome. Yeah. He's just been really, really good. He's been way better than I expected. I similarly expected Jamal Hill to kind of just step in back into his role, but Bennett's been great as a ball hawk, which I don't think we saw coming. And his open field tackling has just been tremendous. It's been absolutely vital for Oregon to hold people on second and third downs. Um, all right, my individual prediction, I have Noah Sewell, like Matt, I have uh, over 11 and a half tackles. I think he'll 
<laughs> I think he's really? going to have another great day. And I have him also at over one and a half tackles for loss. I think oh. it's going to end up over round two. So we'll take my overs there. The uh, the tackle for loss bit by Jared plays right into my Oregon defensive team prediction. Um, I think Oregon finishes with at least three turnovers forced, and they finish with at least six tackles for loss in this football game. Um, I, I really think this is going to be a really good performance by Oregon defensively, and it's going to create some – good situations for the offense. Some short yards or instead of having to go the length of the football field for points, um, Oregon could could be getting the ball near midfield instead, and that's going to lead to some some quick strikes by this team. So uh, give me Oregon's defense finishing with three turnovers and at least six total tackles for loss. I'm sticking on the turnover train here. Um, I'm keeping the bar a little lower than you, Matt. I'm going two turnovers or more for Tanner McKee and that offense. Again, this is an offense that just hasn't turned the ball over, period, with him leading it. So I wanted to keep it kind of at a low number just to not – for the Scopaldamuses, I try to make them bold, but I, I'm also trying to connect on these. I'm four, I've got currently landed 4.5 out of 20. And for those listening who are like, oh, God, you suck at this, this is a, this is this is not going to say that I don't think these things are going to happen. These are bold predictions intentionally, and I'm and I'm pretty self-effacing in terms of like, yeah, I know these aren't going to hit, and you go read the column, you understand that. So some of those listening, I know we've received a fair amount of criticism for a lot of things recently. So I'm just trying to establish what this cup co- this column is before people go, oh, don't rely on Eric. He's stupid. He only got 4.5 out of 20. I'm I'm kind of tired of seeing a lot of that. Um, so I'm just trying to establish that point of view here. So I kept it a little bit low. Um, so I said two turnovers here for Tanner McKee. That doesn't necessarily mean him individually, just this offense, two turnovers um, in what I think will be an Oregon win. Go off, King. I have <laughs> I have Oregon holding Stanford to under 130 yards rushing, and I have the over-under at four and a half tackles for loss for the team in general. I'll take the over. Uh, again, this goes back to I don't think Nathaniel Pete is an every, every down back. I really just don't. Uh, I don't. I, I think he's again like we, someone who you'd like to use as a Travis Dye type mold, where you you know get him more around the edges or use him in a screen game or something. But they're going to have to rely on him for another 15 to 20 carries, and I just don't think they're going to get the offense moving. Granted, this is under the interpretation that their other three running backs will be out this week. Uh, two of them, uh, Casey Philkins and Austin Jones, are still questionable. EJ Smith is out. Uh, we'll see come game time if that happens. Uh, but if, if things go as if they are right now, I have Oregon holding them to under 130 yards rushing. All right, score predictions here. And I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. Even, even during this show, um, I've gone back and forth on just how big of a margin of victory I think Oregon has in this win. Um I think Stanford is going to put up yards. I think they are going to be a team that will move the football against the Oregon defense. That being said, I think Oregon's defense never really breaks. They don't really give up the home run play. They don't really give up the 40-yard gain against Stanford. They make Stanford go the length of the football field, much like they did against Arizona. And I think ultimately that is what helps Oregon get some of these – Turnovers. I have them with three turnovers in this game. Um, 
I, I think some of those are going to be, you know, killer turnovers that take points off the board from Stanford's offense. So they don't score as much as they probably should. And I think Oregon also probably tacks on a late score to make this game a little bit wider of a margin than it, than it, it feels. I think it's going to be a back and forth affair. Um, Oregon's always going to be in control though. Um, they're always going to have like a 10 or a, a seven point lead. But I think Oregon is going to win this game 42-24. It's a high-scoring game. It's really high. Um, I think the total is 58, and it, I'm I'm predicting this is going to be a, a 66 game. So I, I, I think some of that's because I don't think Oregon's going to be able to stop Stanford's passing attack um, consistently. They're going to give up some, some first downs that are going to be frustrating. I have Oregon winning. I have them winning pretty big. Um, I actually just cut off in my – I had a score beforehand that I've actually in my brain decided to change because I actually think it's going to be lower scoring, so I'm correcting for that. I, I originally had like 48 to 26. I'm going to now go 38-16. Um, I think the more I think about this one, I can just envision this being a game where, where Stanford has a pretty hard time moving the football. Um, I think Stanford is is – a lot better than people thought they were going to be going into the season. I don't think this version of Stanford is the same team we saw a couple weeks ago do what they did to USC, be pretty impressive in a road win over Vanderbilt. They're missing a lot of key pieces, and I think that catches up. On the flip side, Oregon, I haven't been overly impressed with what they've played the last couple weeks, but they're getting a lot of the injured players back at positions that I thought were pretty glaring weaknesses. So... I put that together, and I think Oregon wins by three scores. Um, I say lower scoring because my sense is is that this is one where I just don't think Stanford's offense is going to do quite as well as, as, as I had thought before. Um, and a lot of it is because of this issue at running back for them. If they can't establish a running game, I feel pretty good about Oregon secondary winning some one-on-one matchups with Stanford receivers. I don't want to take anything away from Stanford receivers. I like Elijah Higgins a lot. I think that's a guy who's going to be on Sundays. Um, you know, uh, Tremaine is really athletic around the goal line. He has four touchdowns and that leads the Pac-12. And a lot of those are just like jump balls. They're going to pose some problems. But I don't know if I look at that group and say, those guys have the players to be able to go create that explosive play. I don't know if that's what this group for Stanford is. And ultimately, I think... I just don't know if Stanford's going to be quite good enough between the 20s to move the ball up and down consistently. So I like Oregon doing 38-16. I have Oregon winning 35-17. I think they'll cover. It's an eight-and-a-half-point spread, depending on where you go. Uh, I think this ultimately comes down to just how much time each each team takes off the clock in the running attack. I do think that Oregon could could put up more than 35. I think their offense is going to be rolling all day long. Um, I really like that's like heading into the game. I'm or like as the week progressed, I got more confident in the fact that I, that that Oregon's going to have a good day, you know, running and rushing. So uh, I and I and I do think hearing the the positive news on multiple injury fronts, especially with Thibodeau, where he's good to go, uh, hopefully for a full game. Yeah, I think that's just going to be too much of an impact. Um, I feel like he's going to kind of like let, let the training wheels off like he's out there on the first day of school again and be really excited and, and, and really get back to doing what he loves best and that's rushing the quarterback uh, I think McKee is going to run into some 
third down and longs. And I think Oregon's secondary, like you, Eric, I think they're good enough to, to hold steady. Uh, I do do love me some Elijah Higgins. <laughs> that guy's going to be really good. But uh, if they can neutralize him uh, and hold Stanford from getting down inside like the 10-yard line and have that same bend-don't-break mentality they've had all year, uh, I think this could be a relatively easy win for Oregon. Looking at this game real quick, is are we going to be surprised if it's close? Like I, I'm the one that's picked probably no. the the widest margin, um, but I could easily see a situation where if Oregon plays bad it, or doesn't play a, a, a complete game, Stanford could win. Like if if Oregon gives like a B minus or a C plus performance, they could lose, and Stanford could win this game. Like are are either of you guys going to be totally just dumbfounded that 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 this game is close. No, not, I'm not going to be dumbfounded by anything. You know, I mean, St- Stanford was tied with UCLA in the fourth quarter last week. You know, this is a team that's pretty competitive and has played everybody close, basically, aside from their opener with Kansas State. And again, I don't think that was very indicative of this team, a different quarterback. Um, I just think I, 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 a lot of this is is just relating, is responding to some of the injury stuff that I – you know, we're kind of become more aware of the, as the week goes on, you know, the start of the week, you don't know how much of that stuff is going to carry through. And it seems like just talking with some people that there's, there's probably more pessimism about some of these guys coming back for Stanford than I had thought originally. Um, and then again, I, I, I really do think there's something to the Rod Gilmore thing of just like, I just think they're going to put the pedal to metal the whole way. And so I, 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 I'm expecting a dominant win, but Sure. I mean, I, I the last couple of weeks for Oregon, I expected dominating wins, and they I predicted really lopsided wins, and they got pretty close to what I predicted um, both weeks. But there were certainly points in the game where it was a lot closer than than anybody would have liked. I think. I think this is one of those games where I expect it to be close. Um, Stanford's not a team that gives up easy. They they're always a team that plays everybody like it's their hardest competition of the year. Uh, I think that their glaring holes, especially on their defensive line, are exactly Oregon's strengths. So I think even if Oregon runs like a, a C plus B minus game, I think they can still just run the ball to death and give themselves a great opportunity to win. Um, and and do I, what I could I foresee a scenario where Oregon loses? I can. I think it would have to be a lot of bad things on the same day. Like Oregon would have to have a couple turnovers at least to give Stanford good field position. Um, and, you know, this is why you play the games. This is what I always love saying is that, yeah, maybe they do, but, hey, maybe they don't, and Oregon runs away with a victory. So I I, I do I, I would expect this to be close. I mean, it's kind of goes back to what Matt said at the top of the show where Oregon and Stanford, other than a couple of years, have always had, you know, these close rivalry games. That's going to do it for us here on the Aughts and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to this pregame edition. Enjoy the game, 1236 kickoff on ABC. All three of us will be at this game, and the next time that you hear from us on the podcast, it'll be the recap show. And um, I I think, look, we're not supposed to root for teams, uh, but I think it's in our best interest if Oregon keeps winning because – I can tell you right now, the listenership is through the roof. 
Um, the amount of people that are subscribing to DuckTerritory.com is at an all-time high, and we don't want that to go away. And so I, I think for us, it's probably best interest if Oregon wins, but regardless, uh, we will be covering this game top to bottom. We'll have full recap, full coverage of Oregon at Stanford uh, on DuckTerritory.com as well as here on the podcast, Ots and Audibles. So until the post-game edition, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.